celebrate the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. It's great news, hey? It's made a difference in our lives. I want to say welcome to you, even if you're people that are here on holidays or you're up visiting friends or family. If this is your first time in church, we want to say we're, we're wrapped that you're here and we want to say welcome. We hope you have a great time. If you're friends or relatives of those that are being baptised, we want to say welcome. We hope you really enjoy this service and, and really sense God in this place speaking to you and saying things that might affect your life. So welcome. It's great that you're here. Hey, if you don't have a pencil this morning, just lift your hands right up high in the air. And right now, our pencil people, uh, we hope, will be running around like mad trying to get you a pencil. And the reason we want you to have a pencil this morning is because in your, in your uh, newsletter that you would have got as you've come in, there's a couple of these little uh, message notes. And they've got little blanks and spots to fill in. And you should have two in your newsletter if you've got one of these. If you have two and someone next to you doesn't have one, just give them one for free. This Sunday, we're remembering a very significant fact. The night before Jesus was crucified, you know, Jesus made this very strange statement. He said, my PowerPoint's not working either. I wonder if someone can <laughs> do anything like that. That's great. Okay. Just the night before Jesus uh, was crucified, he made this very strange statement, and you can read it on your outline here. You can see it uh, there. It's, he said these words. He said, In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you're going to see me because I'm about to come alive and you're about to come alive also. What, what in the world would Jesus say that, those words for? So what, what he's actually saying here, um, he, he's saying, we're already alive, he's saying to those people, you're already alive, but you're about to come alive. You're about to come alive. Well, they must have been thinking, Jesus, what are you talking about? This is you know, a ridiculous thing to be saying. But you know, Easter is about coming alive. It's about coming alive. And Jesus Christ proved... He was who he said he was. You know, he actually said at Easter, I'm God. I am who I said I am. I'm going to let them kill me on a cross, he said. I'm going to be buried in the ground for three days. This is what's going to happen. For three days, I'm going to, after three days, I'm going to bring myself back to life. And I'm going to prove to the whole world that I am who I said I am. You know, Jesus walked around Jerusalem. And he walked around Jerusalem and today, we still mark the point when he came out of the tomb in the way that we talk about the year. You know when we say it's 2005? We're marking the time according to the time when Jesus lived. His life and his death and his resurrection has split time. AD, after death. BC, before Christ. Almost everybody knows that part of the Easter story. What, what most people don't really understand is the second part. And that is that it involves you, the second part. This is what he says. He, meaning Jesus, 
included everyone in his death so that everyone could be included in his life. A far better life than people lived on earth. Why don't you circle that, a far better life, that phrase there with your pencil. What is this better life? What is the better life that Jesus was talking about? Well, you know, here in Wodonga, I think we know a lot about the good life, don't we? In Wodonga and Albury and all the districts around, the truth is you're probably living the good life today. You've probably got a good home. Maybe you've got a farm that, that is going okay. You've got a good family. You've got a good job, perhaps. You've probably got good health. You know, many people who live in Albury, Wodonga, are living the good life. And you might say today, I'm living it good. I've got it good. Compared to the rest of the world, I'm doing pretty okay. And if you're not like most, of pe- most people around Wodonga, you probably feel satisfied with your life. You probably feel like you're living the good life. But what if there's something more? What if there's something more than the good life? What, what if beyond the good life there was this thing, the better life? A, a better life, a far better life. And what if you were actually missing out on something, even though you had the good life? What if there was something more? Wouldn't you want to know about it? Wouldn't you want to be made aware of, of the something more, the better life? You know, often we settle for less because we don't know that there's something better. I don't know about you, but when I was a little boy, I, I just loved those rusks. Anyone remember those rusks? <laughs> it, it, it got to the point, you know, when I was about, I'd grown past the rusk stage, but I'd just steal them off my sister in the back seat of the car, you know. I'd grab hers. She was a few years younger than me. And I loved them. Until I got to primary school and I realised about peanut butter sandwiches, you know. <laughs> Rusks compared to peanut butter sandwiches, uh, you know, just n- not, they don't compare. And then I, when I got to about, uh, I think it would have been about grade five or six, I found out about cheeseburgers from McDonald's without the pickles, you know. <laughs> but but I, I forgot peanut butter sandwiches and rusks, I left them behind. And you know, now that I've, I've grown older, I've tasted so many great foods. I, I love different kinds of foods. And I look back and I think, if someone, if, if I came to your place and you offered me rusks, <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't be happy because I've tasted better than rusks. So I believe really that God brought you here this morning to Wodonga District Baptist Church on this Easter Sunday morning, 2005, because he wants to let you in on a little secret. You know, there, there's something better to life. There's something that's better than the good life. You know, the good life's okay and uh, it's, it's good, but there's something better than just feeling good, than looking good, than having the good. It's okay, but it's not all that there is to life. There's way more than that. There is the better life. You know, I've, Mandy and I, we've only been in Wodonga for a few Months. I think it's getting on to seven months now, actually. Isn't it, honey? Seven months? Seven months. But when we come up here, everyone says how fantastic Wodonga is. People love it. You know, people from Albury, Wodonga, think it's fantastic. And we think it's fantastic too. We love it as well. But, you know, there are some little dirty secrets that not many people talk about here in Albury, Wodonga. And I think there's three little secrets that people um, don't talk about so often. 
And I, I wonder if I'll let you in on those, which I've noticed a little bit. One, people around here often feel exhausted, you know, a little bit worn out. Uh, there are people who uh, feel, you know, I'm tired all the time. I can't keep up with the pace I'm going. Oh, I'm overloaded. When I get home at night, I just crash. Or, you know, I've got so many things, I feel generally exhausted. Many people here work very hard and do a lot of work and involved in a lot of activities. And often we find ourselves exhausted. And you know what exhaustion leads to? The second thing, it leads to an emptiness, a feeling of emptiness. And you say, you know, I, I, I just can't do another thing. I'm so exhausted, I can't do another thing. Don't sign me up for anything else. I don't want to get involved in anything else. I couldn't take on another project or go to another event or, oh, I'm stretched to the limit. And you know what? I feel empty inside. In those quiet moments, perhaps some of you are thinking, hey, if the good life's so good, why do I feel this emptiness inside? Perhaps you might be thinking, why do I feel unsatisfied? Why do I feel that I need more, something more in my life, meaning in my life. And by the way, what, what's the point of this life anyway? That emptiness can lead to what you know, many people know as something that feels like enslavement. It feels you're trapped. You know, I could count a number of times people have said to me, I feel trapped. I feel, feel trapped by the things that I'm in. I feel trapped by my debt. I feel trapped by... Uh, I don't know whether I'm ever going to get out of it. I feel trapped because of that debt. I feel trapped in a relationship. I don't know whether I can ever get out of it, whether it's with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or in a marriage. People feel trapped. I can't go on, they say. I feel trapped by the expectations of people around me. I feel trapped by guilt. You know, I feel overwhelmed by it. I feel trapped by my own anger. I can't control it. I feel trapped by bitterness because someone hurt me. Many people feel feelings of enslavement. Do you ever feel like any of these things? Do you ever feel emptiness, exhaustion, feeling trapped? I've got good news for you today. Good news is that there is something called the better life. It's the reason God brought you here today. God brought you here to understand that there is something better than just the good life. And he wants to, you to learn about that today. So what is this better life that Jesus offers? Well, it, it, it's three things. And first thing, it's a life that's filled with meaning. You might want to write that down on your outline. You know, it's a life that's filled with meaning. You know, the greatest tragedy in life is not death. It's not. It's to go through your entire life without knowing what your purpose is, without knowing what on earth am I here for. Unfortunately, most people just go through life and they never know what their purpose is. They never know why God put them on this earth. Uh, I'll be blunt. The, the good life is not good enough. It really isn't. Looking good and feeling good and all that doesn't make you happy. You know, that would mean that all those people that we see on TV that look good and have all the money and all, would have the best marriages in the world, wouldn't they? But you know, the, the, the divorce rate in Hollywood is far greater than other, as so many other places in the world. It's so off the charts. So people, just because you look good and, and, and feel, you know, look like you've got all this money and everything, doesn't mean you're happy. Meaning doesn't come from the things you have. 
You need to have significance in life. You need to have fullness in life to feel that your life is meaning. A lot of people actually confuse a full life with a meaningful life. You know what I mean? But they're not the same. Many people fill up their whole life and do so many things and think that by being busy and getting all those things done, they'll find meaning. But that's not true. So we search together to find meaning in all kinds of different ways. You know, we want to get more possessions and then that's going to add meaning to my life. But then when we've finally got them, we realise there's more possessions that we need. If I accomplish certain things, then I'll, I will have achieved my goals and that would have been fantastic. But then we search through that and we find that there's always more goals to achieve. So we search for so many different things through hobbies, through sports, through travel, through relationships, through sex, through food. All these things. And they're all good. But there's nothing wrong with those in and of themselves. It's just that they don't last. You know, they don't last. And when the experience is over, you get into, uh, you need to get your meaning from something that lasts. What are you going to do in the down times when all those experiences aren't there? You need something that gives you constant meaning in your life. You need something that gives you eternal meaning in your life. Where can you get that? There's only one, one place you can. It's from the God who actually created you. The God who made you. The Bible says Christ gives meaning to your life. Christ gives meaning to your life. See, you were made by God. You didn't make yourself. God made you. And if, you, if God didn't want to make you, you wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be alive. He made you and he made you for a purpose. And until you understand that you are made by God and you are made for God and you begin to live for him, your life isn't going to make sense because God made you for a purpose. Until you understand that, you can't step up from the good life to the better life. The Bible says this, because Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what Easter is all about. Why don't we read this together? We've been given a brand new life. We have everything to live for, including a future in heaven and a future that starts now. Now, this is a very important verse. And I just want to point out three or four things quickly from this verse that, that will help it. First, I want you to notice in the verse the word because. Maybe you could circle that. It, it links in this verse, Jesus was raised from the dead. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we can have a brand new life. It's, talk, it's linking Jesus' resurrection, which Easter is all about, to this better life that we're talking about. And that's important. The second thing I want you to notice is that the better life is just not a, an addition to the good life or the life that you're living, your old life. It's not something you just tack on as well to the end. You know, the better life is a brand new life. It's something completely different. You know how you, you see on the TV so many things that say, this is a new and improved product, you know, and it's not. It's just different packages and different label. Maybe it's called something else. Well, when that happens, uh, it's just the same old, same old. In this world, there's very little things that are brand new, but this is a brand new life that God wants to give you. It. He says, I want you to give you a second chance. I want you to be able to start over again. I want you to begin again. That's the starting point of a better life. We're just going to give you a whole new chance. You know, I'm not a very good golfer. And whenever I go, 
I need every uh, kind of help that I can get to get a better score. And, you know, I found out that there's this one word in golf that not many people talk about, but it's called a mulligan. Anyone know what a mulligan is? Yeah, they do. It happens when you get up on the front and, you know, everyone's watching, checking out to see how good you actually play and you come back and your mates are thinking, I hope this isn't going to be a long day, and you hit the ball and it goes right into a tree and hits back and comes back up. Well, a mulligan is when you actually say, oops, and everyone says, that's okay, just take another ball, that's free, we'll give you a mulligan. It's a free shot. You know, whenever I play, I, I try for a mulligan every, every game. <laughs> but they're fantastic for golfers, especially if you're bad. You love it. It's incredible. They're going to give you a free shot because of it. You know, the truth is Jesus wants to give you a mulligan. He wants to give you a mulligan. He says, you know, all these stupid things that you've done in your life, in your past, the things that you regret, the things that you would have done differently, those dumb decisions, you know, the mistakes, the sins, the faults, the failures, call them whatever you want, all the stuff that you've done which was wrong. Jesus says, let's just erase them all. Let's just start over afresh. I'm going to give you a mulligan. Let's have this brand new life, completely brand new life. He says, to a step up from the good life to the better life. Wipe out all the, all, all the stuff that you've done in the past. You can begin again, God says. What a deal. What an incredible deal. No more guilt. No more guilty conscience. All wiped out. God says, begin again. Begin again. You can start over. You might say, well, how can I do that? It sounds pretty good. How do I get it? You know, the truth is you can't earn it this morning. You can't earn it. You can't work for the better life. In fact, you know that verse that we just looked at, it says, we've been given a brand new life. It's a gift. It's a gift that's been given. You don't earn it. So let me just summarise the whole Bible for you quickly in five sentences. God made you. You were made by God to have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with God. God knows and he loves you and he wants you to know him. I'm not talking about religion. You know, God really couldn't care less about religion. God is more interested in relationship with you. He wants to know you. You were made for a relationship with God. But there's only one problem. God's perfect and you're not. So there's this huge, neither am I, by the way. So there's this huge gap between us and God. So, so God says, you know, I'm going to bridge the gap between us together. In fact, I'm going to overcome that gap because obviously I could never and you could never un- overcome the gap between you and God. God says, I'm going to come down. And so 2,005 years ago, God came down to earth in Jesus Christ, in the person named Jesus Christ. And he said, I'm going to die for the sins of the world. I'm going to pay for everything that's ever been done wrong so you don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay. I'm going to give you a mulligan because of what Jesus has done on the cross. I'm going to let you start over, brand new, brand new. You know, not only that, he says we've got so much to live for now. He says, I'm going to give you meaning. I'm going to give you a life that's full of meaning. You know, so many times I read in the newspapers of people that are wealthy and seem to have everything that commits suicide. And it just makes me think, you know, you can have everything that the world has to offer. 
but have no meaning in your life. The better life is one of significance and meaning. And the world won't tell you this. The world won't be honest with you. They'll try and make you believe that meaning comes from what you have. Meaning comes from your status in life. Meaning comes from the way you look. But they won't tell you that it doesn't stack up in the end. If you're living for God, if you're living for him, trusting in Jesus Christ, then that's the better life. Then that's the better life. Then God says, well, let me give you this purpose. Let me give you this meaning in life. Let, and you can start enjoying this. And you know, then the Bible says, you know, he died, Jesus died, so that we would no longer live for ourselves, but we would live for him who raised, was raised to life for our sake. God says, you weren't made to live for you. You were made to live for me. And when you live for God, when you begin to live for him, your life has a whole lot of great new meaning. Um, This is something that is fantastic. God offers us meaning through coming to earth and dying for us and rising again. What's our response this morning? Well, let's just say thank you to God. Let's sing this morning. So this better life is not just a life that's filled with meaning. It's a life that's freed by grace. A life that's freed by grace. You know, what does that mean? What does it mean, a life that's freed by grace? The Bible says this, we're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. It all comes by grace, this new life. We're freed to live a new life. Freedom comes from God, but it comes to us by grace, by God's grace. You know, what is grace? When Grace is actually when God gives something that, to you that you need, but you don't deserve. God gives to you something you need, but boy, you don't deserve it. That's grace. You know, actually, everything that you have in life, you have because of God's grace. In fact, you know, the next breath you take is given because of God's grace. If God didn't want you to take it, you know, your heart would have stopped beating a long time ago. Your whole life you owe to God's grace. You have nothing if God hadn't decided to actually make you. So grace is saying to God, I love you. I forgive you. God says to us, I love you, I forgive you. Even though you can't earn it, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you, even though you don't deserve it. Grace is saying, I'm not mad at you. I'm not holding a grudge because of, of what, what you've done. I'm not holding a grudge because of what Jesus has done on the cross for your sin. God's saying, I'm going to give you a second chance. I'm going to give you a third chance. I'm going to give you a fifth chance and a 25th chance and a 125th chance. Grace is the road to freedom. You know, in Australia, we, we just love freedom. We love our freedom. And Jesus has actually set us free from lots of things, heaps of things. First, you know, he set us free from guilt. All the things you feel guilty about, he wipes them out because of what Jesus has done. He gives you that mulligan. He sets you free, secondly, you know, from death. 
You know, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. Why? Because I actually know God personally. I have a relationship with him and I know where I'm going when I die. What else does he free you from? He, he sets you free from the hurts that other people cause you. You know, the bitterness that you can't let go of. The things that you keep holding on to, that anger. God's going to help you let go of that. He's going to help you let it go. He sets you free from the expectations of other people. He sets you free to be yourself. He sets you free to, to grow and develop and become all that God meant you to be. He sets you free from worry. You know, anxiety. You know how we get all stressed. People get stressed. He sets you free from fear, from boredom, from meaningless, from having no purpose. Jesus sets you free from trying to earn God's approval. He says, I love you. I'm giving you this freedom. Uh, this morning, does God, does God like you? What, what does God think about you? You know, you may be under, um, uh, unsure about that if you don't understand grace. Maybe some of you were raised in a very religious home that they kind of said, uh, you know, a very strict religion happened. And, and they, they kind of said that God was mad at you almost, you felt. Every religion in the world can be summarised with one of two words. You know, it's do or it's done. All the religions in the world uh, actually basically say this. Here's what you must do to get God to like you. You know, other world religions sort of say, this is what you've got to do to get God to like you, you know, to earn his approval. And then they kind of have they, this different list of things that you've got to do. One will say that you've got to do this list to get God's approval. Others will say you've got to do this list. And then there'll be some that say, well, you've got to do part of this list and that list together to do what God wants you to do. And if you do all those things, then God's going to smile and he's going to be pleased to you and say, you're cool. You know, that's great. Jesus Christ, he came to earth and he said, that's all wrong. It's not it at all. It's not in it at all. Jesus said, you know, I'm not into religion. I want you to have a relationship with me and I've already done all for you. I've done it all for you. You don't have to do anything. You just have to accept what I've done on the cross for you. That's called grace. That's amazing. And there's two paths you can choose in life. One is to spend the rest of your life trying to earn God's approval by your effort. You know, by doing certain things, trying to prove it. The other one is to enjoy God's approval, to accept what he's done by accepting what Jesus has done, what he's already done for you. You just accept that gift. The first way doesn't work. You know, it never worked and it never will work. In fact, God says it doesn't work. This is what the Bible uh, says about people trying to earn your own approval he says this in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 18 to 19. The old system was cancelled because it didn't work. It was weak and useless for saving people. It never made anyone really right with God. But now we have a far better hope. For Christ makes us acceptable to God. He said, I just cancelled the old system of earning God's approval. You know, when a TV program doesn't work, when a product's dying, what do you do with it? You just cancel it. They take it off the shelf. They, they change the programming. 
And God cancelled the idea of you trying to earn his approval to get to heaven because it just doesn't work. Heaven is perfect and you and I, we're not. So we could never earn our way. There's no way we could ever earn our way to heaven. And you may as well just try and forget earning your way to heaven because it doesn't work. God cancelled the plan. He said there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to live the better life. And that's to accept my gift of grace, <coughs> accept my love, accept what Jesus has done. You know, the better life is a gift. It's a free gift. It's certainly not cheap, but it's free. Somebody had to pay for it. Somebody had to pay an incredible cost. It was a very expensive gift. But you know who paid for it? Jesus Christ. He paid for it when he was on the cross. He paid for your salvation so that you can come to know God. He paid for it so that you could have the better life, so that you could know what it's like to have the better life. He paid for your freedom. You know, the Bible says, and why don't we read this together? He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. That purchase freedom. You might want to circle that. It's an amazing thing. Do you know there was a, a couple, a, a missionary couple that were in Thailand and they actually went and they were talking to the people in Thailand and talked to the, these parents of a young boy. And as they were talking, the parents said, we're going to sell our child into slavery. We have to sell our child so that our child can pay our debts you know, at our home. We, we've got so much financial debt that we have to sell our kids. And the missionaries were so moved by it that they said, we're going to buy your kid, we're going to adopt your kid, purchase your kid and this child will become ours so you can pay your debts and at great cost to the missionary couple, they actually paid for the boy and adopted him into their own family. You know, as soon as they did that, now this boy is free. He can grow up to be a free child that can do whatever he likes in the family. He's free now. He's no longer a slave. He's a son because they bought him. And that's exactly what Christ wants to do for you. On the cross, he paid to buy your freedom and you're no longer a slave to guilt, to worry, to fear, to bitterness, to all the pressures of the past, the expectations of the future, all of those things. He paid for on the cross. He paid them to set you free so you can live the better life. You know, there's a word for that. We don't hear it much because it was all about times of slavery times. It's a word called redemption. And it basically means redeeming people by paying a cost. You know, there were people when slavery was on that got so angry at it and they thought it was terrible. They used to save up all their money and they'd go and they'd buy slaves. And then as they bought them, they'd say, you're free to go now. You're free. The redeeming people, redemption. Christ came to redeem you, to set you free from all the things that uh, cause hang-ups in your life, the things that entrap you, the habits, the hurts, the hang-ups, all those things. He says, I want, you to, I want to set you free from it all. I want to give you a real life. Now, if I accept this better life, if I step up from the good life to the better life, what do I do with the old life? What do I do with the ex exhausted, kind of empty enslaved life. Well, look at what the Bible says to do. You know, the best thing to do is to give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. 
you know, the best thing to do is to give it a decent burial. Just dump it. Get rid of your old life. Don't try and hold on to the old life and all the worry and all the bitterness and all the things and the, the lack of purpose that's there. Why would you want to hold on to something that's old? You know, when people give you a new coat, a brand new beautiful coat, and your other one's got all holes in it, you don't put the new coat over the old coat, do you? You just take off the old coat. You throw it away and you say, God, I just want to put on this new coat. I'm going to have this new life. Well, don't hold on to your own life. Give it a good burial. You know, Jesus gave us a, a symbol for this, just getting rid of the old life. It's called baptism, where we bury the old life and we rise up to new life in Christ Jesus. It's the way they used to do it in Bible times. You know, they'd go down to a river and they'd actually dunk a person completely under the water and they'd bring them back up. And, and why would they do that? Why would they do that? What's the meaning of it? Well, it's a picture. It's saying, I'm burying my old life, the life that I had without meaning, without purpose, the life that was stuck, the life that was guilty, the life that was filled with worry. Now I'm living a brand new life. I'm living a new life, redeemed. Christ Jesus had paid the price for me. I've been set free. I'm living a brand new life and it's the better life. Hey, we've got some baptisms this morning. People are going to be burying the old life, symbolising that, being baptised. Norman's going to come and introduce these people. Thanks, Norman. It's a great joy this morning to uh, witness the baptism of seven people who have become brand new people, people who have committed their lives to Jesus Christ and have been changed by his matchless grace. And four of them are going to share the story of how they came to this point. And the first is Mr. Steve Stokes. Steve is uh, going to share with us first of all, and uh, Steve has two daughters this morning who are going to follow the Lord in baptism too. His wife has already been baptised, in case some of you were wondering, and so Steve is now going to come and share his word with us. Uh, recently I was asked to think about my life before I accept Jesus as my saviour. I actually found it extremely difficult to do as I had accepted Jesus in my life while I was young. At the time my mother was a Christian uh, and my father wasn't. And every Sunday as a child I attended church and Sunday school. It was early in the 70s, I was around 8 or 10 at the time and understood what this meant for me. I became part of God's family and would live with him for eternity. I'm happy to say that in 1972, my father became a Christian and he was transformed overnight. But that is only part of my story. God had a purpose in my life and I grew to know him better. When I was 14, I was teaching junior Sunday school. At 18, I took over the leadership, the youth fellowship, and I loved the Lord and he was working in me. In December 1984, I married Marie. I was 22 at the time and was a university student with another year to go. I was receiving a tertiary assistance and had so much faith that God would provide, we still planned a wedding. I was living near Wollongong at the time and was accept accepted for vacation work in Wodonga, starting two weeks before the wedding, and they were also going to allow me to take time off uh, to get married. The company needed somebody for six weeks in Sydney and offered me the work. We left Wodonga on a Friday night and I started work in Sydney on the Monday. The work was extended and eventually became permanent. 
and I spent my last two years at uni uh, studying part-time. God was looking after us. We had our first daughter, Mary, in 1987, and soon after her birth and having spent two and a half years in Sydney, we moved back to Albury. We attended a church in Saguna and eventually found ourselves helping run the church out of the community house. In 1989, Emma was born and after a year, few years, the Saguna church dissolved as it became too much for the small group running it and we all became part of the larger congregation in Albury. God still had a role for me and I spent time in the parish council and as an as a, as a elder serving the Lord. But something happened. For a while, I drifted away from God. I started finding excuses for not going to church. I was tired. I wanted to sleep in. I was too busy or I just wasn't motivated. I was no longer allowing myself to be a member of God's family. And using Jonathan's recent analogy, I was like the liver removed from the body and I was slowly dying. But God was still with me. I never forgot him. I just wasn't doing what he wanted me to do. My family kept encouraging me to go to church and kept reminding me why it was important to me and to them. I knew a few people had been attending Wodonga District Baptist Church and we attended our first service here in November 2003. During that service, like now, I cried. I could feel God's presence. After all God had done for me and had promised me, I realised how much I had let him down. Since that service, I've rededicated my life to God and stand here today as a witness that Jesus Christ is my Lord and my Saviour and I will live the rest of my life according to his purpose and not to my own. Thank you. And now Mary... Steve's beautiful daughter is going to share her testimony with us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he had already thought of me. Let me tell you my story. I have always believed there was a God. I remember going to primary school and not being able to comprehend how another seven-year-old could think otherwise. I remember being teased by having a children's Bible in my bag. When I was in year five, I went to Border Christian College where I encountered another way of life. Every morning we had a little worship and started the school day with prayer. And on Friday we had chapel where we sang and we listened to a message aimed at our age group. I was happy and came to understand the Christian life a little more. <coughs> Yet sometimes I would become confused if something was taught differently to what I understood. I remember coming home to mum and she told me that different people interpret the Bible differently. But we have to always go back and look at what God says, not just rely on what people tell us. I love research and discussions, so I never mind searching for an answer in the Bible, and I know it all stems from my mum's words. Looking back, I can see this is what made the difference in my life. My parents never told me, this is the way it is, but gently encouraged me in my faith, allowing me to grow at the rate that God intended. A few years later, I joined a Christian karate group with yet another outlook on the Christian existence. While going camping with the group, I was told about faith and courage and I made many friendships that are still very important to me now. It was during these years attending Border Christian College and the karate group that I accepted Christ as my personal saviour. I see now that all of these experiences were God-given to build my character for something more challenging, the public school system. When I started attending Albury High, I was overwhelmed by the size and differences between it and my old school. I was scared and ready for a battle, as I knew I could not make any secret of my love for Christ. 
I was argued with and provoked by my fellow students. Around this time I came with my family to this church and it was the thing that got me through the week. I love school and I'm thankful that God helped me to make some wonderful friends that I now spend the day with. Last year my physics teacher presented me with a challenge to present an argument for the existence of a divine creator. Never want to back out from a challenge. I wrote to friends and family asking for their assistance. I presented the speech earlier this year, knowing that my friends were praying for me, and I was awed at what God did as a result. I was expecting the class of mainly non-believers to provoke me into an argument, but instead they asked probing questions about what I had said. I felt truly blessed that God would allow me, a teenager, the opportunity to witness for him, even in such a little way. I learnt that God can use all people, no matter what your age. Coming to this church and witnessing the baptisms of other believers, I felt a nagging pull to do the same. I believed but felt too scared to take the plunge, pun intended. Knowing that my excuses were flimsy, I finally filled, my, filled out the little blue card and popped it in the offering bucket as it came around. I felt a surge of relief and joy that I would be obeying Christ in this way, as he had told me to. And so I stand here before you, not scared but overjoyed that I may share this special moment in my spiritual journey with every single one of you. And now a young man who's been with us for a little while, Philip Nixon. Glory be to God. By his mighty power at work within us, he is able to accomplish infinitely more than we would ever dare to ask or hope. Today I want to tell you my story and share with you how God has been at work within my life. Brought up in a Christian home, I cannot easily separate my life into pre-Christian and Christian times. However, I can remember making a decision to follow Jesus when I was maybe five or six years old, accepting that Jesus gave his life for me and receiving him into my life. At the time, it was only a simple commitment to follow Jesus, and yet it marked the beginning of a lifelong process, learning to trust Jesus and having a real relationship with him. My life since that day has involved many huge changes, including changes in my attitudes as I have come to know Jesus in new and exciting ways. Growing up with Christian family, I can remember many Christian influences from a young age. We attended church regularly, and I can remember having my parents pray with me every night. However, I think that for a while, Christianity for me became something that I did because I didn't know any other way and because this was the way that I had been brought up. I wasn't living according to my own relationship with Jesus, but rather I lived to conform with the ways of the Christians around me. This, however, soon changed. As I reached high school, it was no longer possible to live out the faith of my parents. Challenging experiences at school made me realise that I had to rely on Jesus as I had never done before. And this is how I began to develop a real relationship with him. Still, however, there was an important part of this relationship that I didn't understand. I thought that by following all the rules and striving to do my best, I could somehow contribute to my salvation. I thought that if I worked at it hard enough, I could in some way please God. Only recently did I acknowledge that I didn't have to do any of this because Jesus did it all for me when he died on the cross. This, I discovered, is why my life cannot be about following rules, because no matter how hard I try on my own, I'll always fall short of God's standards. This is why I must rely on God's grace alone, not only for my salvation, but for the strength he gives me every day. So what does being a Christian mean to me? It means letting God be in control of my life, as it is only through him that I can fulfil my purpose here on earth. 
Most importantly, it is about having a personal relationship with Jesus, acknowledging that he gave everything for me and giving my life to him in return. In this world of so many transient things, I have found Jesus Christ to be the only one who is able to provide lasting contentment and meaning for my life. Even though I continually make mistakes by putting myself first in life, God is faithful despite all my failures. In wanting to become a disciple of Jesus and through witnessing the baptisms of others, I see God leading me to baptism as the next step in my spiritual journey. And so today I have decided to be baptised to affirm my commitment to Jesus and to be obedient to him by following him through baptism. In closing, I want to share with you a verse that has been meaningful to me over the years. This verse speaks to me of God's unconditional love and reminds me of the joy that I can have in my relationship with Jesus because of all that he has done for me. Zephaniah 3 verse 17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And the fourth testimony, the last but not the least, is that of my friend Shane Robinson. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name's Shane Robinson, and I wish to share my testimony with you today. Um, I've attended this church for one and a half years with my beautiful wife, Karen, over there. Uh, Karen's attended for four years. We have two boys, Dale nine and Jake seven, and I also have a 17-year-old boy, Dean, who resides in Sydney with his mother. My life before Christ was less than a desirable one, uh, with much violence and abuse being a part of it. I don't think my life differed from many of the people that I knew or grew up with, but it was a hard life nonetheless. I wasn't a total loss as I received a reasonable education and I completed a trade, but I probably didn't apply myself as well as I should have. I had a lot of issues and problems with a great deal of pent-up anger and was searching for love and acceptance anywhere I could find it. I was not a very desirable person to be associated with a lot of the time. Drinking, fighting and antisocial behaviour were a very common occurrence. I thought that I was in total control of my life, but the truth was I was far from it. For a long time I thought that there must be more than this, but I didn't know what. I had some dealings with Jesus and God when I was in high school. We had a half hour of scripture class once a week. I'd sit and listen tentatively through the classes, but once I leave the building, I'd forget all that, that I just heard and I'd just carry on as usual. That was the way I continued on even into my adult life. I had problems throughout, including marriage, a child and divorce at a young age. Continued drinking, fighting and antisocial behaviour were the norm. I had very little self-control or self-worth and was on a path of total self-destruction. I also had very little respect for those around me, leaving a path of hurt and anguish behind me. Then came along this beautiful young lady, Karen, and what I had was recommended to me by my mother, so I was off to a flying start. <laughs> who brought calm and, uh, some calm and direction into my crazy life, though Karen was not yet a Christian. At the time we met, I believe I was at the lowest of lows. I can thank my mum and Peter for taking me in at this stage too, as I don't know what I would have done if they hadn't. Karen really was a a blessing in my life, excuse me, and she was the one that pulled me out of the rut that I put myself in. Although Karen was not yet a Christian, I believe now that God had already begun his work in our lives. Karen brought some sense back into my world. Don't get me wrong, life for us was no fairy tale. We had our ups and downs, as everybody does, but life for me had certainly calmed. 
I still had my struggles with drinking and fighting, and I had begun to take, but I had begun to take more, more responsibility for my life and my family. Shortly after the birth of our two, two beautiful boys, Karen started to attend a local church playgroup at Camden in Sydney. Karen came home one day and asked me if I had any concerns with her becoming a Christian. I said, no, as long as you keep it to yourself and don't bother me with it. <laughs> I just thought that I would tolerate it until it wore off and she'd get it out of her system. Well, she hasn't yet, and instead of wearing off, it's obviously rubbed off. <laughs> then the boys started school. Uh, we'd enrolled them into a Christian school. The boys would always talk about God and Jesus, and Karen and the boys always had this overwhelming joy when talking about Jesus. I would often read to the boys at night before they went to sleep, and they would ask if I uh, could read them some verses from their children's Bibles. I figured it couldn't hurt. They're only books after all. After a few weeks of reading, I began to ponder the messages that were coming from those passages and how much joy the boys would get from them. I think the seed was being sown. Although life had settled down, I was still carrying this empty, lost feeling. Something was still missing. Seeing the effects that this Jesus was having on Karen and the boys, and even Christian friends that Karen had, I began to, it began to make me inquisitive. Sure, I'd been to church a few times for Karen's sake at Christmas and Easter, but one Sunday morning on October 2003, I had this urge to go to the church to find out for myself what this Jesus character had to offer. While sitting and listening that morning to Graham's sermon, I felt Jesus had touched my heart. I was amazed by the incredible atmosphere and seeing the love that all these people had for Jesus. I suddenly had this incredible feeling of relief, forgiveness, happiness and love. That morning, <coughs> excuse me, that morning, Graham bowed his head in prayer and asked that if anybody here today wished to accept Jesus into their hearts, to pray with him. That is the point in my life that I know Jesus entered my heart. I'd been saved. My life was never going to be the same. For a long time after that day, I continued to struggle with some of the old habits, and I still have my struggles. I found it extremely difficult to accept that someone like me could possibly be forgiven for my sins. It certainly hasn't made my life problem free, but I now have purpose. And I learnt that Jesus loves me as I am, and that I have been able to change my life and my approach to life with the glorious help and guidance from God. I believe that God has been working in my life from the very beginning, and in his way has been preparing me for his work. I've learnt that no matter how worthless I may think I am, with the acceptance of Jesus Christ as my Lord and Saviour, God will love me without conviction. Hence, I have asked today to be baptised as a public declaration of my commitment to Jesus Christ. Thank you and God bless. So it's a life that's filled with meaning. It's actually a life that is so full of great meaning. It's a life that's freed by grace. But it's also a life that's full of energy. And we've seen a lot of energy here this morning, haven't we? I wonder whether you realise uh, how often people get so exhausted. In fact, there was a, a story in USA Today which talked about an actual community over in New Jersey and they was, there was one mum who lived in that com community that got so worn out. You know, her name was Maria. 
and she got fed up with running her family everywhere during the week. She was constantly juggling you know, her kids' homework, her music lessons, the kids' music lessons, their soccer practices, their swimming lessons, their ballet, all the things that they had that she got so sick of it that she turned it into a, a, a sort of like community-wide revolt against busyness. And they actually said, okay, the, the community leaders got together and they said, right, for the two Tuesdays, they're going to, in a row, they're going to have actually absolutely nothing scheduled right throughout the whole community. They're going to say no one's allowed to do any activities, no one's allowed to do anything. It was called Ready, Set, Relax. <laughs> so even the teachers decided we're not going to give any homework to the kids on this night, we're not going to do anything like that. Clubs and even churches, they said no activities tonight, you're going to just stay home. And uh, instead of being extremely busy, spend a night with the family, spend a night together where you can just relax, cook each other a meal and sit down and just enjoy together. You know, who reckons that would be a good idea for us here? <laughs> we could take that on. But the funny thing is that the residents in that place were so addicted to activity that they started to, they brought out a list of suggested activities you could do at home. You know? <laughs> Then they kind of turned it into a competition that who could have the best night at home kind of thing. No wonder they're all out of energy. But so often we feel like that. You know, there was a, a couple that I, I know, Husong and Phoebe, and uh, in their home they'd moved in and everything was fine and then they started to hear this cricket sound going. And it was this cricket noise happening all the time. And so, you know, one night in the middle of the night they got up and they pulled out the fridge and they looked behind the fridge and squirted more tea all over there. Then it still kept happening, the cricket noise. So they pulled out, emptied all their, all their cupboards and pulled it all out, squirted the stuff in there. And then after lots and lots of effort, turning the whole house up and they realised it was their smoke alarm saying, <laughs> <laughs> saying it's out of, the battery was out of energy and it needed recharging. And, uh, you know, have you ever noticed that when we're feeling drained and we lack energy, little problems become big problems. You know, when our battery's on empty and we need to be recharged, you know, just the smallest thing will turn into a huge thing. And, you know, that's what often happens to us when our batteries get, re get down. You know, we get ticked off, we get upset. And you say, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's wrong, but there's something that's going wrong. Well, I'll tell you what it is. Most of us are going so fast that we're exhausted and we haven't got time or we feel so down on our energy. Imagine we need to plug in to some new source of energy. We need to plug in to some power. God meant for you to be plugged into his power. He actually meant you not to go through life on your own energy, trying to do things yourself. The Bible says in Zechariah 4, 6, Jeremiah. The Bible says in Jeremiah 31, 25. Let's read this together, shall we? Those who feel tired and worn out will find new life and energy. It's good news, isn't it? You know what it says in Zechariah 4, 6? It says you will not succeed by your own strength or power, but by my spirit says the Lord. You're not going to succeed 
in your own strength. God wants you to plug into his power and he says, my power is available. You know what the good news is? The power that's available to you is the same power that was demonstrated when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead this Easter Sunday so many years ago. That same power is available to you. Because Romans 8.11 says these words. Let's read this together. Once the Spirit lives within you, he will bring your whole being new strength and vitality. God wants to give you a life that's full of energy. He wants to give you a life that's full of energy. You've got a choice, you know. You can go through the rest of your life living the good life, disconnected from God's power, or you can live the better life that's plugged into God's power, that's, that's being fed by God's power. It's your choice. Whichever one you choose, you're still going to have problems. You know, Shane said, hey, I've still got problems in my life. You know, it's still not all rosy and everything. i am still got things. And it's true. Coming to Jesus isn't going to mean that all your problems just zap and vanish away. But there's a difference when you're living your life with God. With Christ in your life, you have energy that didn't come from you. It's not your own power. He gives you that on a daily basis, day by day. The Bible says, even though on the outside, it looks like things are falling apart on us. On the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. You may have come to this Easter service this morning a little tired, a little worn out. Maybe you feel on the edge. You might feel like giving up. Maybe you're in a relationship and you feel like giving up on it. Maybe you've got problems with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or maybe your marriage is not going so well and you feel like giving up. Maybe you, you, you feel that your job is, is too hard. You're lacking the energy and you feel like just throwing it all in or maybe you feel like giving up on school. You may feel like giving up on your health because you're feeling like you just always, always feel like there's no energy left. You may feel like giving up on your kids. You know, it's so hard. Maybe you feel like giving up on your kids when they're going in the wrong directions in life and you're feeling that and you're feeling exhausted. Maybe you feel like giving up on your goals, your dreams, your ambitions. But today I want to say to you, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't give up. Look up. Look up to God. Don't give up. Don't, don't give up. Give in. Surrender to God. Give in to Christ and actually say, Jesus I'm going to start living the better life. I'm, I'm going to start living what you put me on earth to do. He'll give you new power. He'll give you new energy. He'll give it to you on a daily basis. Has God been trying to get your attention? I think he has. I think that's why he actually brought you here to this service today. I don't think it's any mistake that you're here at Wodonga District Baptist Church this morning, Easter service, 2005. I think God's been wanting to get your attention so you can know that the good life is not good enough. God's saying to you, I want you to step up to the better life, the life that he intended for you to live. You say, that sounds good. Well, how do I get it? 
How do I get this meaning and this energy and this purpose and this freedom that you're talking about, Jonathan? I want to say just again, as it's come through in the testimonies, you can't earn it. You can't earn it. You know, you don't get the better life through working. It just comes through having a relationship with Jesus. You know, as the, the, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, everybody comes alive in Christ Jesus. It's through him that you have this better life. So you get it through a relationship with him. It, it, it says this in, the, in John 10.10. 10. Jesus says, I came so you can have real and eternal life, a better life than you've ever dreamed of, better life than you've ever dreamed of. That's why he came. Instead of feeling empty and enslaved and exhausted, he says, I want to give your life meaning. I want to give your life freedom. I want to give your life energy. And that's what Easter's all about. That's what it's about. It's not about lots and lots of people. It's not about eggs. It's, it's about personally getting to know God. He wants you to get to know him. You know, over the years, so many people have come to Wodonga District Baptist Church and sensed God speaking to them and they've left the good life for the better life. So many people have come through these doors and been sitting in places where you have and they've said, I'm stepping up from the good life to the better life. I'm crossing the line. I'm beginning a relationship with God. We've heard the stories of so many people throughout the 40 Days of Purpose saying how much knowing God and having a personal relationship has changed their lives forever. And this morning, this Easter Sunday, you can step up from the good life to the better life. I'm just going to pray a prayer. It's a prayer very similar to the prayer that I prayed when I was just 14 years old and realising that I needed a God to be the energy, the one that would give me the energy, the freedom, would break away the enslavement and entrapment that I was feeling. It's just a simple prayer. And this morning, that's all you need to do is to say to God, to say to God that I want to begin a better life with you. You don't have to pray it aloud. You can pray it in your heart. And as I'm praying, you can just say, yes, Lord, I want that. Yes, Lord. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. In fact, he's seeing everything that you've done, everything that you've ever had. He knows you and he's been waiting for this moment. You don't have to pray aloud. In fact, these words aren't even magical. It's just talking to God. It's the attitude of your heart that counts. So why don't, as I pray, you bow your heads and if it's your prayer too, you just pray, me too, God, me too. Let's pray. And first, I'm just going to pray for you. And then you can follow me in a prayer. Oh God, our Father, there are so many people here today that have never begun a relationship with you. God, they know about you. God, they believe in you. But they've re never really come to know you. And God, I pray now that you would give them the courage to open their hearts, to open their minds, to open their lives to you right now. Now, you, you, you might want to pray something like this, just in your heart. Dear God, I want to start living the better life. I realise that you made me 
for more than just a good life. So as much as I know how, God, I want to start living for you and not for myself. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. I don't understand all of that. So you're going to have to help me out, God. But I want to open my life to you, Jesus, as best as I know how. Oh, Jesus, I want you to be the, the manager of my life, the, the, the boss of my life, the leader of my life. God, from this day on, you call the shots. From this day on, you're in charge. God, I want to learn to trust you. Oh, God, I want to exchange today the good life for the better life. I trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.